Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's a huge natural English talent out there, and the best way to prove that and to check that is if you look at the results of the young boys in England, of the youth teams now on the international level, they start to win competitions. It's now we go into a process number three, as I told you, is the integration. I would say today many, many, many clubs uh, do well part one, they do well part two, quality of education. We fail all at the moment, I would say, in part three, integration into the first team. There's so many talented kids that are just getting stuck in, in the machine. And then the development stops between the ages of, say, 17 to 22, and we're losing. The national team's suffering. Clearly, there's something wrong, because our kids are proving if you give them a chance, and you give them a chance at the right age, they can do it. They're just not getting the chances. Kids can be ruined by giving them too much too soon. Kids can be ruined by getting an agent too soon. Kids can be ruined by parents being too strong and too forceful. But unfortunately, they are situations in the game that, that are going to be very difficult to change moving forward because every club wants the best players. So it is going to be a bit of a jungle out there in terms of how do we get them? What do we have to do to get them? And that's just unfortunate, but it's the way it is. Hi, welcome to a special edition of the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined on a very cosy sofa by John Cross of the Daily Mirror, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, Adrian Clarke and David Priest, two former footballers who've become fine football writers. We're addressing the issues raised by my BT Sport documentary, No Hunger in Paradise. It's the inside story of making it as a pro. I'll start with you, Adrian and David. What were the lessons of your development? How did you make it? I think the big difference from, from when we were kids is that you weren't allowed to go to, to clubs until you were 12, 13 years old. That's a huge difference to, to dear. Sadly, these days, I think it, the enjoyment is taken out of football. And that's the, the biggest thing that, that I get from this. Because I think that if I was starting out today, it's almost you're going into the process far too early. And you, you, you're losing that... Uh, Come to job. The, yeah, Come exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not a dream anymore. When I was playing, that's what kept me going because it was a dream. Now you're going into, into the process at a young age where you, you're thinking about the game 
like an adult mm. and, and you're taking the enjoyment away from the game mm. and, and, and what you really want to, to, to play for. Everything else, it becomes business-like. You're thinking about what happens at the end of it, what you can get from it, rather than just uh, playing football for enjoyment. Yeah, the big money has changed changed everything, I think. I was spotted at 10 uh, by Arsenal. It went to the centre of excellence once a week until I was about 14 and then I signed schoolboy forms and at 16 you, you sign on full-time. But at no stage... Until I went full-time, did I do more than one evening a week training with Arsenal? Now, a lot of people will say that that's not enough, that, that I missed out on a lot of, a lot of quality coaching. And, and I think that there is a, a point in that, but I also feel you can be overcoached. And I think the big difference at the moment is that the kids are going in from a very early age, twice a week, three times a week. Um, we get to 15, 16, they're, they're taken out of school during the day. They're actually virtual professional footballers at 14, 15, 16. And they feel like footballers. They're treated like professional footballers. And I think it's overkill, personally. I think there's too much analysis. I had quite a normal childhood where I got to play with my mates, got to play for Arsenal, I got to play for my school, my county. And I think it gave me quite a rounded education in in life and in football, and I would like to think it made me a more natural footballer than some of the products we see today, who are technically brilliant, I've got to say, but because they're being coached so thoroughly and analysed so thoroughly, I do feel as if we're churning out a lot of samey players. Mm, and this, you, know, in the, you, know, you do a lot of work in the mm. northwest, Johnny. I hear there of six-year-olds... Mm spending one night a week at Man United, the next night at Manchester City, the next night at Everton, the next night at Liverpool, being taken out of their infant school before 3.30, so they have their tea in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. That can't be right, can it? No, uh, you might want to throw a crew in there who are very active at that age group as well. Um, listening to Adrian made me think of that, actually, because I interviewed Ben Woodburn not too long ago. Ben Woodburn's almost like a case in point of, of what happens to a modern, elite, gifted young footballer. You know, at the age of six, seven, eight, he was at all those clubs. Uh, well, not Manchester United, but City, Everton, uh, Liverpool crew. He was training with them. By eight, nine, he'd been signed up by Liverpool. By 11, he was getting up every morning at six, getting a taxi from his house in Chester to Liverpool's school at Rainhill. So Liverpool place their, their scholars in a, in a school, like a lot of the elite clubs now, where you know, the, the curriculum's arranged around their football commitments. So you know, this kid at 11 years old was getting a taxi at six in the morning, an hour to school, doing his schooling, playing afterwards, getting home late at night, doing it all again the next day. Now he has got a good family and he is gonna make it as an elite footballer. He's a success story and he's a very balanced young lad, but speaking to him, made me think, yeah, but what if maybe one of those other things hadn't been in place? What if your parents hadn't been so switched on? Or what if you hadn't been quite as good as you are? You'd have gone through this process. You might have lost your childhood to a certain extent. Mm. And what have you got at the end of it? Mm. And that's where the parents come in. They have a huge responsibility, don't they, John? Because, you know, I watched a lot of academy football and it, you can see the parents with the pound signs in their mm. eyes. And I remember Chris Ramsey saying to me, look, you know, parents put up with things that if it happened in their school, they'd be up to see the headmaster. They'd be complaining to Ofsted. But because it's football and the gravy, as Chris says, is on at the end of the road, they let clubs get away with stuff like that. 
It's almost become, isn't it, the sort of the tracksuit culture on the edge of the pitch. They all think they're kind of the football manager and the, the manager that is, you know, their their kid is this incredible pathway to future success and glory. And it's also, I feel, so much pressure is on the kids' shoulders that they know that they're almost this family's one single hope, that are basically of success and future wealth. Can you imagine being in that position at kind of at such a young, raw age, feeling, oh, my word, you know, the, the whole family, you know, whether the dad's given up work to sort of, you know, look after and sort of kind of push their child on, and that, that pressure falls upon, you know, whether it's a 10 or 11-year-old, and I think it must be absolutely, you know, sort of crushing and, and, mm. uh, and overwhelming. Also, that the, the parent can say, my kid's at Man City, my mm. kid's at... At Man United, my kids at Arsenal. Then sometimes I feel that they're not even going to the best like academy for their particular child, just so that they the, the parent can say, you know what, my kids are. Arsenal. So they go for the badge or the brand. Absolutely, yeah. and and it really is like that. I feel. And they go for the money. You've just yeah. mentioned it. The wealth. Uh, you know, <clears throat> parents get offered offered jobs. They get offered incentives. They get the kids get offered offered money. Um, the big difference now is is what is the wealth on offer. When I was a kid, when Dave was a kid growing up, you chose a club or you you didn't even think about the money. I mean, footballers have always been paid pretty well, but not to this extreme level. So it was all about I want to make it at this club. I want to play for England. But now it is the pressure of taking that family to the next level financially, which it must be unbearable pressure on a young kid. I, I don't remember feeling any pressure. I didn't think about it. Just wanted to just play football. It's only actually afterwards you you look back and think, God, blimey, you know, you're always on trial. Mm. You know, it's amazed that I felt as relaxed as I did when I was a kid. I think if I was in that, in that position now, I'd um, I'd certainly be on more on edge more. Mm. How harsh a world is professional football, David? It is very harsh, but at the same time, I think uh, it's a balancing act because it has to be. It has to be like that to to prepare you to to go on the professional game. We spoke about how how tough it is in in youth systems and and in, in some cases I spoke about my own case uh, sort of going into uh, into Sunderland at 15 and then kind of being bullied by older players. Now at the time, you just think that's how it happens. You take that flak, you take the bullying, knowing that this is something I've got to get through, and, and you'll then, be strong enough to take it yeah, to survive. Yeah, exactly. And, and in some ways, it does it does toughen you up, and, it, and it's useful for when you go into professional football. Mm. But at the same time, it's like in any other uh, environment, bullying breeds bullies. Mm. So then, all of a sudden, after you've taken your flak, you often discover that you're the one dishing out the same. There's this sort of <laughs> this cycle that goes round. Mm. But you, you talked about uh, the going the the big clubs. My idea when, when I was uh, 12, 13, was I wanted the best education, have the best coaches. So even though my end goal was always to sign for Sunderland, because that was my dream, to play for my hometown club, I still went to Manchester United's uh, School of Excellence because I thought I'd have the best coaching there and, and I wanted to go to a different club and experience different, mm. different things. And I knew that if I put the work in, then things would come after that. If I made it as a footballer, if I became as good as I wanted to be, you know, the, the, the money would come and, uh, I mean, like I said, we, we didn't even think about lifestyle back then, you know? No, no. Like any other teenagers, you wanted a car and you wanted a few quid in your pocket. And, but if you played football and you, you won trophies and you, you could go out there and captain your hometown team, that's what it was all about. Mm. Everyone, everything else has been put before football now. Mm. But football is ruthless. 
Like it is ruthless at first team level as well. You've got to have that. You got you got to sort of tough. You got to be tough. It is the survival of the fittest. So I think it is, you don't want bullying. Bullying's different, but you, you you have to have a bit of bit of tough love. And I, I do think maybe some some of the kids are mollycoddled a little bit. I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I, in my era there, there was the FA National School, and I, I got selected for it, um, but I didn't go. I was one of three people that didn't that chose not to go. Um, it was a boarding school, trained full time, and Arsenal, dis- Ar- Arsenal discouraged me from going. Actually, yeah. um, no, I don't regret it because I think I, I still think training every day when you're 14 and 15 is unnecessary, mm-hmm. and I do think that the strain it puts on your body potentially will will create injuries further down the road. I was fortunate in my career; I didn't have that many that many bad injuries. I'm not saying it's just because of that. But it was just not for me, and I didn't like the idea of a boarding school. I was happy where I was. I was happy with, you know, just my life really at that point. But it was interesting that Arsenal at that stage, even though I would have got coaching every single day, they didn't want FA coaching. They wanted their own. Stephen Gerrard famously mm-hmm. missed out on the on Lily show, didn't mm-hmm. he? And, mm-hmm. and and that's been one of the drivers of his career. The fact that he had to fight a little <laughs> bit harder, yeah. and, and he still talks about it now. Yeah, yeah. Sol Campbell went out of our year, but um, Nicky Barnby the year above. Uh, Andy Cole before that, but yeah, not 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 that many players made it. I, I think of the sixteen from my year group, I would say that um, two had stellar careers, six or seven were pros for for five or more years. The rest out of football very early. Mm. The thing that struck me, Johnny, interviewing Stephen for the mm. film, mm. is is <clears throat> the humility that he has. Yeah. yeah, he was very grounded as a player, despite basically carrying that club on his shoulders. And he's in, enraptured by the whole idea of coaching and making loads of mistakes, but learning and getting the best out of young players. But he accepts that those players really don't understand the world in which they're going into. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting... I mean, having lived on Merseyside, it, it, it's still one of the most vibrant football environments for producing players. And there is a, a part of the Merseyside character it, it involves humility, I think, and getting people... Everyone gets cut down to size pretty quickly, you know, if they, for good or bad, if, if, if they get flash. And I think Stephen embodies that. And, and I think Liverpool actually as a club have done quite a good job of being a big club, but with those values still at heart. But Stephen faces a challenge in passing that on, even at Liverpool, even in that environment and that culture. He faces a big challenge in passing that on to the next generation. And the cha- that challenge is that... that if Liverpool want to be different as a place, they're up against clubs that maybe or, or, or different drivers where the you know clubs are going to throw money at things. They're going to do things a different way. They're maybe not going to even care so much about the youth products at the end of it. They're just going to hoover up, hoover up talent. You know, if, if Liverpool are going to try and maintain their wage limit for scholars, I've spoken to agents who said, "Great idea, but we'll just take our kids elsewhere." Mm-hmm. So you know. I love hearing that. I love Stephen spoke so well in the film, but I hope they're more like him elsewhere because he can't. You know, people like him can't do it in isolation. Well, well Tottenham do do the same thing, and they keep their scholars to you know the basic minimum to about seventeen, three hundred and eighty pounds a month. Yet those boys are England internationals, youth internationals. They go away. They might be boarding with someone from City who's sixteen, seventeen, and on ten grand a week. So he goes back and says, "Well, hang on a second. I'm in the same England team as this guy. He's earning that, and I'm earning that. What's going on? Mm. Have you seen that? Yeah, well, uh, in talking to, to, to an agent pal of mine, he was saying that basically a lot of clubs 
are just so anti losing their kids to to the England call-ups, basically, because one of the worst aspects of it, obviously, you know, losing out and sort of kind of coaching time and kind of, you know, heads might turn, is that basically the, the kind of the one-upmanship is so brutal that it will completely destabilise the kids, whether it's sort of as a kid as at, at the basic level is kind of, He's got better boots than me. He's, my agent's got and they've got the, you know, the. the I'm told boot vapors. launches now have to be coordinated. <clears throat> so all the young players who've got a particular boot and they've got to deal with, I don't know, Nike or Adidas or whoever, they have to have those boots on exactly the same day because they will be held to pay if one player can't go on Instagram <laughs> and, and show off his boots on the day that it matters. That's where we're getting, aren't they? These kids, and, and you know, we talked about it, they are pros, but they've never kicked a ball. That's ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, you should never get a boot deal unless you're in the first team, should you? I mean, it's, it's crazy. But, but what you say, mate, it's very, what you say is very true. It's always been the case, you know. I played the England junior teams, yeah. You'd, you'd speak to the Man U kids and they'd have better gear. You know, they might have... You have a contact at Adidas or Nike at that time that that sort them out. You just got to put up with it. But but there's, the disparity is pretty huge if you're on mm. 300 odd a month mm. to 10 grand a week. There should be a limit, shouldn't it? I mean, there has to be, in my opinion, uh, a limit that you can only pay X amount to anyone before the age of 17. Or yeah, before the age of 17. We're in a situation at the moment where Burnley are sixth in the Premier League, and the wage range at Burnley, I'm told, is between about 20 and 40. Now, there are players in academies, as you identify, Mike, earning more than 40 a week. You aren't play, might never play Premier League football. There's a team in the Premier League where the senior pros are actually paid less than that. That's the strange world we're in. We don't need to make it, do you? Don't need to make it. Well, Arsene, no, Arsene, Arsene Wenger in the, in the film you know, basically said, look, two-thirds of players who have got a pro contract at 19 are out of the game by their 22. And some of those players are millionaires yeah. because... But, uh, but they've not even kicked a ball for the first yeah. team. Now, that can't be right. We were, we were poor, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But most people were on that. I mean, uh. clubs get, can get out, get around that when we were younger by paying sort of uh, parents' sort of lodging fees and things like that if they stayed at home. Mm. But it's... Uh, uh, when, I was, when I was playing in Denmark, you know, and, and seeing what happens in Scandinavian countries and in Germany, the difference... Is, it, they, they still have full-time football for youth players, right from sort of 10, 11, all the way up. They have colleges, they run colleges. Uh, but the difference is, it's the education that takes the priority. Mm. So it, it ends up, even in sort of Danish uh, Superliga, you've got players who are uh, in national teams, mm. but they're still in education at 21, 22, even though they're in full-time football. Mm. And like I said, they're playing for the countries and the, the, the subject of million-pound offers from, from clubs outside of, uh, outside of Denmark. Mm. It's, it's all about education. Mm. And I think that's, it's, it's just about a balance right across the board. Mm. You know, we've gone too far where, like I said, players mm. being overcoached. Mm. Um, for me, mm. it's about playing games. Mm. Right up to my uh, sort of 17, 18, 19 year olds, right up to then, it was all about playing games. It wasn't about coaching, it was about be, being used to game situations. Mm. So when you get to 18, 19, 20, mm. it's almost like when you, you, you pass your driving test, you don't really get the experience of driving, mm. or the real experience is when you, you pass the and test and you get in the car. Well, that was me when I moved to Darlington. Yeah. I wasn't going to get a chance at Sunderland. I moved to Darlington. And those two years at Darlington were probably the, where I learnt the most. 
in my whole career. And I bet you didn't play on a pitch that was a bowling green every mm. single time. That's the difference as well. In, in, obviously, these days, if you're going to be a professional footballer, the chance are you'll play on a, a pretty good pitch. But the facilities are so good now; they're just so pristine that it's almost it's so clinical. You know, I, I would. I, they don't have to learn how to control the ball on a bobbly pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so when it, when, you know, with those, these FA Cup ties up at Accrington Stanley. It's, it's a real shock to the system for the but, kids now. Even the, even you look you look look at Manchester United. Marcus Rashford. Um, he came through. He's probably the last player to come through from what Alex Ferguson put in place and his his coaches and and. They had a, an idea that even with the best kids, they had to take them out of, of a comfort zone and properly challenge them and put them in, you know, you're talking about playing a bad pitch at Darlington, put them in environments where they have to solve problems. So Brilliant. they used to have a cage game every, every Wednesday. Rashford at 13 would be playing with Pogba and Ravel Morrison on a small-sided indoor pitch, getting battered around, playing with these brilliant players, but challenging himself. Now... That's great, but Manchester United have stopped doing that because, like everyone else, they've looked at EPPP, they've looked at the academy criteria and realised that doesn't really fit with the orthodoxy. So that's, that's, the, last, that's the last player that will have come through like that. Because mm, they're coloured by number players now, aren't they, John? Mm. Um, when you deal with first-team players or young first-team players coming through, do you see a difference in them you know, between maybe the kid now at 19, 20 getting to a first-team and maybe 10 years ago when we were you know, all starting off in the game, that has, has the nature of the footballer changed? I think the, the personality has definitely changed, yeah. I think they now... It's definitely more... They're much more complacent. They're much more arrogant, generally, I find. Um, I think they were hungrier before, without doubt. And that's the biggest single aspect. I mean, we talk about the title <laughs> of the film, No Hunger in Paradise. And that's, the, that, that's my feeling, is that they were... They were driven by desire and determination, which has got to be diluted because if they're already on incredible money, you know, if players are sort of kind of, if teenagers straight out of the academy are being offered kind of, you know, £34,000 a week, <laughs> have you really got the same drive as kind of, you know, is, someone was talking to me, you know, recently about the difference between, say, two level kids. Just for example, Josh McEachern at Chelsea and Jack Wilshere at Arsenal. One has got that incredible drive to come through and to get into that first team. McEachern might have even had better sort of natural ability. But then kind of what got Wilshere through was that kind of that steely inner determination. And I think you are seeing as that, you know, five years later, we, we're even seeing that on a grander scale now because those kids... Now, does their life depend on making it in the first team? No, it doesn't. And so they can go abroad and they're thinking, oh, well, if I don't make it here, there's loads of other clubs that I'll go to. And they're, they're ready-made. They've got that career waiting in front of them. They've already got the flash car. They've already got the amazing contract. Do they need first-team football like it's their life dependent on it, like it's their dream as it used to be five years ago? No, absolutely. I just think that's gone, and that is the biggest disgrace, and that's the biggest shame on mm. football now. But you talked to you know, Steve Jordan. I'll ask, I'll ask you, David, the same question I asked him, which is, can you succeed without hunger? No. I mean, it's famous saying, talent's not, not enough. It's not enough. But what it is good to see is that, that people are recognising there is a problem mm -hmm. and p younger players at, at top clubs are being sent out to, to conference clubs, League Two clubs. That's where, like I said, talk about the experience, that's where they get a real experience. That's when they get an well, elbow in the face. Well, well it's, it's mm -hmm. not just about that, though. It's said about solving problems, coming up against different opposition and not being used to just playing nice football. Mm -hmm. 
but you've got to play to, to win. Having the pressure around you that people will rely on you to get bonuses, and uh, it means more to them to win games. So, I mean, you think of examples in the Premier League at the moment, uh, there's probably more, but look at Jordan Pickford and, and Nick Pope at, at Burnley, two goalkeepers mm. who have played games in the, in the conference mm. and done well at that, uh, at that level. Mm. Alfred and with Pickford and uh, Cambridge and uh, York mm. with, with Nick Pope. Now, that's, they've gone on from that yeah. to prove themselves. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's a great grounding for them. And it's, it is pleasing to see that more clubs are starting to recognise that that's a good way of going forward. Hardy, of course, as well, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've got to say, there's some great coaches. There's really top yeah. coaches around the country, a lot of really intelligent people working within the academy system that are great for the kids. Yeah. I do think they're just a little bit hamstrung by too much paperwork and having to follow the curriculum, so to speak. But I don't think what we're saying is a criticism of the people working in working in the in the academy system. I think I think it's just the money that has kind of spoilt it for the kids. And yeah, I, I endorse completely what, what David says. From what I would say my advice would be never stop pushing to a young player. Never ever get complacent. Never ever stop pushing, striving to get better because whether you're 13 40, whatever age you are, there's someone in the year below you that desperately wants your shirt. There's someone in the year below that. So those guys that are in the first teams, they have survived a lot of people, a lot of brilliant players, a lot of superbly talented players. They've held them off. And they've held them off because they're tough. And, you, and you've, got to, you've got to be seriously mentally tough to make it to the top. In, in the film, Joe Barton, yeah. you know, a yeah. mutual friend, he basically said he went into Queen's Park Rangers... Who wants my shirt? I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. yeah, and they don't understand the power of the shirt. And he said, "Look, in this game, no one gives you anything. You've got yeah. to take it off me. You've got to take bread off my kids' yeah. table." That's the reality, isn't it? Yeah, and Dewey should go around every academy in the, mm. in the country, <laughs> frightening the life out of them. <laughs> it was a really powerful bit, but that—that that is the reality. And it's—I I hear something interesting. I've heard it from a couple of agents now where they are saying that they would rather take kids out of Premier League academies if they can and put them in the championship. They're saying if they had the next talented kids they get, they might actually put them lower down because they recognise, and, and they're not altruistic, they're looking at the bigger picture, which is how do you turn them into the, the superstar? How do I make money out of Massive, yeah, the real big money comes from getting a superstar. And the way to do that might be to retain their hunger and get them somewhere lower down where they have to fight a bit. Because what about the morality of, of youth football, John? We brought it right down, as, as John said. Essentially, it's about making money from children, mm. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. well, you, well, that baldly, does football pay enough attention to its duty of care to those kids? I think if you look at the film and see the various sort of kind of breakdowns, then you'd have to say no. You know, you, you look at the... The kid at West Ham who's sort of kind of, I think, probably been failed by football to some degree. And is there that worry? Is there that sort of kind of social conscience about whether they make it or not? And you'd have to say absolutely not. And it's, it's such a concern, really, because I don't know whether they really... The kids feel this incredible pressure. And I don't know whether the sort of kind of... The, the aspect of that kid's childhood and that development ever comes across someone's mind. Because I think to feel as if... You know, the, the world, the weight of the world is on your shoulders at 16 or 18 or whatever it might be. 
I, I just don't think they, you know, generally people care enough about the kids and the kids' welfare and their sort of overall development. And they probably come out of it completely scarred and not ready for, for normal walk of life. If they survive in the bubble, then they'll be absolutely fine. But if they, if they kind of drop outside of football and drop out of the kind of the mainstream, then they're, then they're really going to be struggling, I think. But the thing is, if even if they make it in the bubble... You're just delaying the inevitable because they've still got to come out of that bubble. Mm. So it, it, if they're uh, if they're starting higher up as a, as a kid and they stay at that level, the drop's going to be massive when they come out. It doesn't matter whether you've made a good living or not. Mm. But coming out of that bubble, being institutionalised, mm. it, 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 it takes some, it takes some adjusting. And I think you're right what you're saying about a club's responsibility. They're too focused on producing good footballers rather than good people as well. Mm-hmm. And, and if they can play, then they mask a thousand sort of minuses and negatives in their personality. Mm-hmm. You know, people brush over... Bad characters. Yeah, of course, if yeah. They can play. If, if they can play, then they can just brush it under the mm-hmm. carpet a little Haven't bit Haven't you more. noticed, though, a change in a, in a sort of a characteristic of a, of a player? In the, I mean, I just noticed in the last five years or so, what I was trying to sort of allude to there was... I don't know that they really ever need to drop out that bubble mm. because, you know, they're in the academy, they have this incredible life where they're kind of, you know, taxied to and from games, you know, given an amazing it's sort of... forced life, though, isn't it? it, it absolutely, Adrian. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that they're kind of put in that bubble. If they make it through the academy, if they then sort of progress into that first team, mm. they're sheltered from any criticism, they're sheltered from reality, then they make the first team, they go and have a really good life, then at the end of it, they're millionaires, they can do whatever they like in terms of whether it be a pundit, a media mm. pundit, then go into coaching. Increasingly, I just feel that they don't ever escape this bubble and yeah. they're multi-millionaires. It's, it's, the, it's the aftercare that's wrong for, yeah. the, for the players that don't make it. You were talking about that we were going to private schools at Liverpool, yeah. um, you know, going to the same school, that's, that's the same in most clubs that's now. You get, you get great education, you're yeah. treated like a special case till you're 16 and then you're out. Mm. And then what? And is there enough aftercare and support? Not mm. from where I'm sat. I, I don't know specifically what goes on, but you're left alone. I mean, when, I, when I've left clubs, you, you, don't get, you, you don't get a phone call, you don't get any support. You're there. You, you, you don't, you don't, once you're done, you're done. See, I, I mean, I think as part of the system, clubs should have a duty to yeah. place young players that they're releasing 16, 18 or whatever, place them somewhere. Because that used to happen informally, didn't it? But we, we spoke about this just yeah, before we came it. on, and I said the problem is, in football, football people are frightened, witless, of hanging their hat on a failure. Because if they're not good enough for you, yeah. it doesn't mean they're not good enough for a club in the next division or the one below. But in my experience, I've seen... Coaches that have worked with kids for years, loved them, treated them like their own. But then when it comes to recommending them to someone else, they do not want to know because their reputation, they're worried about their rep in the game. They don't want to... Don't so, want to... so the boy does well, so therefore... No, if the boy doesn't, if, the, if they recommend that kid and he, and he, he fails at that club, it makes them look bad. Yeah. And, and I think that is, that, if, is, surely, that is ingrained in the If he does game. well, they look bad because he didn't get the best out well, of Well, maybe, them. yeah, but I just feel that that's a, that's a, that's a problem. And I, I wish that, that there was an aftercare system and that the... You, you, the, you, the like a, not like a parachute payment system, oh. but a parachute yeah. get a duty of care for players. Maybe it has to be formalised. I mean, I think the, 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 the Football League started doing a scheme with clubs in Sweden where if you drop out of Football League academies, 
they think they can't get them a job at a Swedish mm. club, but they'll get them a trial. They've got mm. a partnership, and I mm. think they, they're, they're getting some mm. success with that. Yeah. We've seen some private academies. Jamie Vardy's academy has, mm. has done it. We've seen a few, haven't we, where they're, they're retraining the young guys and, and placing them back in clubs. That's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think if you limited numbers as well, if you, if you limited the numbers that clubs are allowed to have in, in their academy teams, that would make them make better decisions more quickly, more realistic decisions about young players maybe 100%. not lead them down the garden path. And, that, and then that would free the other kids that aren't being signed up just to make the numbers to, 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 why, to find a difference. Why are clubs allowed to have 50 pros? Why? Like, it's ridiculous. You don't need 50 pros, do you? You've got one first team. One reserve team, we're under 23. Well, teams. the academy system's about stacking up players. Yeah, but that's it? where it's wrong. We all, I think most people agree that's where it's wrong. That's where the block is happening because there's just too many. So, I don't know, I don't know if there's one fix, but surely one possible fix or that will help the problem is to say to a club, you can have this amount of pros, yeah. 30, and 12 of them or 15 of them have got to be homegrown academy or something along those lines. I don't know the figures, but um, that. I think it's the only way. Because if you've got 50 pros, it, for 30 of them, it's a pointless being there. Pointless. You've got no chance of making it. Well, we hope we've given you something to think about. The documentary airs on BT Sport 2 immediately after live coverage of Arsenal's FA Cup tie against Nottingham Forest on January the 7th. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.